Hi, I'm Robin Birkin and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast, a place for women struggling to conceive to find emotional support, conception advice and real talk. To me, being a warrior means true glory is in rising every time we fall, having the courage to be afraid and being ready for whatever challenges cross our path. So welcome, warrior. You're on your way. I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. Hi, warriors. Thank you for tuning into the podcast once again. I am joined today by one of my dear friends, Monica Bivis. I felt really called to speak with her here on the podcast today. Monica was one of the first people I spoke with when the shit hit the fan with Roscoe's accident and when I was just looking at throwing in the towel with all of it, everything I was doing, I felt really unsure and really in the mud. And what I received from Monica was pure love and support in return. The reason I wanted to speak with her today is because I have this vision of her being this like wise grandmother. Not that she's old at all. In fact, Monica is very glamorous um, and I can assure you quite young, but she has moved full circle with her journey and she can share with us what life looks like on the other side of grief trauma and the loss of losing a baby not that there is necessarily another side but there is time in between that and losing a baby no matter what age no matter what gestation whatever stage that was at is a burden that no mother should have to bear I don't think that today's episode is going to be a comfortable one guys but what I do think it will be is comforting and as both of us being in the space that we are in, we know that sometimes it's really okay to share emotions. So we are both going to be really sensitive, but really open today in chatting. And I think that it will be full of love. Um, I think it's going to show you that life can exist beyond loss. I'm sure it will show you that your baby is and will always be important, but that you can also experience happiness again and move through this period. So I am going to start stopping everything that I am talking about and be a listener on this episode and welcome Monica to the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Robin. I really was so excited that finally uh, I had the chance to be a guest in your podcast. Your podcast is incredible. There, there is, you know, no doubt about that. I, I will say that is for me, number one in, in the infertility and, and our community world podcast. And for me, it's an honor to be here with you. And it's also an honor to be able to share my story, which is a really one full of heels uh, and roller coaster of emotions. But I'm here and that is what put me where I am now. And I'm so grateful that you are going to be sharing your story with us in all honesty, because I really do think that it is so needed by so many warriors, particularly at the moment. And I didn't want to give away too much of your story. So I guess I'm going to hand it over to you to share with us your story. Perfect. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. It's uh, funny because before I got married, I was kind of clear that I 
didn't want to have children. And that thought came from seeing, you know, the world like it is now. The world, you know, like Solomon the King says that there is nothing new under the sun. And it's so true. You know, today we have phones, the tablet in the times of the, you know, Moses was the Ten Commandments in a stone. So everything is just changing the ways, but it's the same. So I had that thought. Uh, because I said, why well, need to bring children to the world when it's upside down? So that was when I was 29. I was still single. Then I met my husband and he had a daughter, which is now 18 years old. She's uh, my stepdaughter and I love her like I love my own. So when I married Anna, you know, she used to come and visit. It was kind of heartbreaking. I was like, I want my own. Mm. I need my, you know, I want my own baby and I want to feel that feeling because every time she left, it was a heartbreaking for me. I'm coming from a, a family from both sides, my dad and mom, for very fertile people, very fertile women. Okay. My, mom, my mom is the, the number 10 of 18 kids of the same mom and dad. Nine girls, what? nine boys. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I have about 253 cousins that I don't even know. What? Okay. Yep. So wow. my grandpa died when he was 102 years old and he was able to see his fifth generation. <laughs> like I don't even have words. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like all my aunts, my mom, they basically got pregnant with a blow of a kiss. So I was yes. like, okay, so it's going to happen with me. I was so sure and I took it to so granted that I said, okay, let's start to try with my husband. It's going to happen in the next Three months, I'm going to be, you know, with a positive result. And we try, and after like a year, I'm kind of starting to think what's wrong. Something is wrong with me because he has a child. And I went to the doctor, you know, to the gynecologist. He told me, well, listen, let's try with Clomid. I don't think it's something wrong. Maybe it's a stress. You move from Colombia to the States. You know, many changes. Okay. I tried, and then for another six months, nothing. So making the story a little short is we went, he said, okay, I'm going to give you authorization for some exams. And then I went and uh, they found out that I have uh, my both tubes are blocked for a stage endometriosis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So we tried laparoscopy and the doctor that wanted to do it, he said, look, I don't warranty you that he's going to be able even to open one. Might not open. I, he was very even honest and say, I don't think he's going to open it, but let's try. So we did. Okay. Nothing happened. Yep. So what was my only way? It was in vitro. It was devastating. I have learned in life to be a little bit more calm because I am Colombian. I have that Latin blood and I am so dramatic and everything is like a disaster. I cried my eyes. I couldn't believe it. The first thing that came to my mind is, you know, my husband has a child and maybe it's going to be hard on him too that I cannot bring a child because he wanted more. And he was absolutely supportive. And he said, we're going to go through these. I thought the world is, you know, like it's a chaos. I felt in dark. And he's like, listen, they are giving us a, a choice. We still can't get pregnant. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's nightmare. We need to go through it to see what it is, but we can so my gynecologist recommended me this doctor. We went to him. We call it Dr. Crazy because he was a mess. He was a mess, okay. Robin. He was a mess. He had only one nurse and, and, and it was a disaster. You know, it was two hours waiting. But with all of that, I love him. Oh. Because 
yes, I wanted to quit. And then my husband was like, let's don't quit. You know, I have a good feeling about this guy. And I'm like, I don't. He's crazy. He put us to wait for hours. And, and he called us two in the morning to give me the things. I, I can't deal with this. It was so much stressful. But then I said, okay, I'm going to follow his heart too because we are partners, you know. So And that first cycle went with all that ups and downs went good. I had my 14-year-old now. She's my, my first cycle. And we were very, I would say maybe lack of knowledge. They didn't suggest us to freeze some of the of the embryos that we had and they were very good and then we said okay we, when we want another baby we come back to him and we do another IVF and again you know I kind of say it's gonna be easy if this first cycle went like that it's gonna be easy we went back after like two years and we start with him unfortunately the nurse that he had in that time she switched charts with another patient and they gave me the wrong dosage of medication. They gave me something. Oh. So he told me to put whatever I was. And then I got OHSS. Oh. So I had to cancel it. My ovaries were like balloons. And you know how dangerous yes, is that. I've had that. Yeah. And then I start to feel like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. So we waited another three months. You know, I need to clean up my body and all of that. And what year was this? Okay. So my first IVF was in 2004. And he mm-hmm. was born in 2005. Then we did 2007, the second, two years later, and it was canceled, end of 2007. And then we wait about about year and a half to start the, the third one. Okay. And the doctor took responsibility and said, I'm going to, you know, no charge. I'm going to do the cycle. It was our mistake. So we did the third cycle. And the third cycle went, okay, beautifully. I know that what I'm going to say now, probably it's going to, it's a little bit sensitive, but I have to say, yeah, because it, it's part of the story. Yeah. We wanted this time a boy. And mm-hmm. you know, with the advance of medicine, you now can do sex selection. So we told the doctor what was the possibilities. And he said that once they have the embryos, depend the quality, they're going to send it to some place and they did. So we got uh, six embryos. Mm-hmm. And they send them all for the sex testing. And then they came back, three boys and two girls. The sixth embryo didn't survive. You know, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. The three, the three male embryos were super good quality, you know. And one of the girls, he said that it was better to not place it because it could have some chromosomical issues, whatever. And the other one, it was kind of five or six days late and she could, she, he didn't think she could make it. So I said, okay, great, perfect. So let's place the three males and we go with that. My husband says, no, I want the three males and the, the baby girl that is a little late. And I'm like, why? We want a boy, you know, like, that's <laughs> honestly it is. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You know, we need to play all the odds. We want a baby. That's what it is. So we place it. Robbing this female Kick the butt of these other three. Mm-hmm. And she developed amazingly. You know, I was taking all my tests. I was 37 at that time. Okay. Ten, 10 years ago. And we did the amniocentesis because, you know, for the age after 35, yep. they did that. Everything was perfect. Healthy girl. She developed amazing. And unfortunately, my body kind of developed some clothing issue with the blood. Right. And at 39 weeks, a blood clot in the umbilical cord 
heal the baby. So, <laughs> and what happened is like, she moved so much. And then actually on October 2nd of 2010, I remember exactly the date, we had women to take the pregnancy pictures with my husband. And that morning I woke up and I told him, I don't feel the baby moving since yesterday night. And he said, you know, don't worry. Remember with Elia, my first one happened. And we, you know, because it was our first one, we went to yeah. the hospital and she was sleeping. So I'm like, okay. We went to do the pictures. At the following Tuesday, that was a Saturday, October 2nd. And then October 5th, I have my appointment with my regular gynecologist. And that day, i supposed to get into the hospital, you know, to be programmed the next day. She is doing the sonogram. She's measuring the head. And suddenly I tell her, can, can I see the, the heartbeat? Robin, she starts to look for that. I see she don't find it. And I'm like, are you finding it or not? And she's like, I need to leave to call the doctor. That's it. I just knew the baby was dead. I was crazy. They had to hold me, call the other two nurses because I just couldn't take it. And then the doctor came, my husband came, and then the doctor came and says, okay, we need to induce you. Come tomorrow. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to go to the house and sleep with the baby, knowing that my baby is dead in my womb. Um, you do it now. We, we go now to the hospital, like screaming, crying. So we went to the hospital. He left everything. He had to cancel whatever he had there. And for some reason, I still have some hope. You know what is that feeling? Of- yeah. I was going to ask, like, if you truly believed it. Oh, my God. I was praying that, you know, I don't know if my head, the state of mind, I was with so much pain that I still some, like, on the back of my head, I said, I feel bubbles. Maybe it's moving. Maybe a miracle. They did another sonogram and I was praying so hard that they're going to find it, that that God is going to do something or the universe or whomever you believe. I'm Jewish, but I, for me, God is God. That's it. Yeah. And they didn't. So it was hard. They endorsed me. You know, they put me also epidural. The epidural, they put me so fast. It was dropping very fast. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment that my husband, see, he, he saw me and I felt, Robin, that I'm kind of falling, you know, like going. And I was so happy. I'm, I have to be honest with you. I was happy. I was praying that I'm dying because yeah. I don't want to feel that emotional pain. And he called and they stopped it. And eventually a friend of us from our synagogue came and she was there when the baby born. The baby born and, and she did the Shema. It's a Jewish prayer, very powerful. And we all start to cry. And then um, they took the baby, right? And then the nurse came and she asked me if I want to see the baby. And I told her, of course, I want to see the baby. Because, you know, it would be terrible for me not to see her. I know that I don't cannot see, you know, what color eyes she's going to have or whatever. But I wanted to make sure she was complete. Mm-hmm. So they brought it to me and uh, I wanted to unwrap it. They brought it wrapped. You know, she looked like sleeping, but her skin was a little like with white thing. When I wanted to unwrap it, my husband, he didn't let me. He said, you can't, you know. I say, what happened? She's missing fingers. What? And she, he said, he's complete. You don't want to see her because her body is too white. And I tell you something, women, we are very strong. We are much stronger than our other side than men. And, and then I, I just start to kiss her and hug her. And I didn't want to let her go. And he said, you need to let go. I can't see this. So he called the nurse and they took the baby. 
we call our rabbi because, you know, like I mentioned, mm. I have to tell you all of that, to ask him because the hospital was asking us if you want to a necropsy, you know, to find out exactly. Oh, right. And my doctor told my husband, he said, listen, it was so obvious that there was two big blood clots in the umbilical cord. And I think it has to be with your wife has some kind of autoimmune thing that we need to test. Mm. We call the rabbi. The rabbi says, no, we follow the instructions of our rabbi. I'm going to be very honest with you. A lot of people will say, okay, so you bury your child, uh, right? And you go and you visit her. In Judaism, if a child is not alive for 30 days, complete 30 days, we don't see Shiva. means we don't do like a ceremony. And and me as mom and my husband, we don't go to the burial place, which Mm -hmm. today I'm very grateful about. I saw my baby, I know, and this doesn't belong to me. It belongs to a higher power. It was not Mm -hmm. time, but it was devastating. The next weeks, I thought that I was dreaming. I didn't care that I have a husband. I didn't care that my mom was here. I didn't care about having my five-year-old here. Of course, in in, in the way of a five-year-old, but we had to tell her. She would notice, yeah. Yes, listen, she was with me. She took pictures, you know, like all of that. And it was very hard because I'm not going to lie to you. I thought that I, I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> I wanted. Yeah. I went even to look into ways because I'm going to be very honest with you. I am so scared of physical pain. Every possible way that I could find that I could, you know, die myself involved something like that and I was like okay this no so and it, I guess it was a sign it was something you know I, like I have a mission here so you don't it's not mm. your time yeah from that my marriage almost fall apart we almost got divorced we even went to lawyers me and my husband because each of us grieved differently yes I cried I screamed I woke up, you know what is to wake up and rub your your boobs because you need to dry your milk. Mm. And instead of waking up because the cry of a baby wakes you up, I need to wake up to cry because there is no cry to to hear. So it's a killer. And then what happened is that I wanted a baby because, you know, it's like I want to replace. I need that. I need it. I'm prepared. I, I need it. So I didn't even let my body rest. From the, you know, from the postpartum, from the pain, from all of that. Mm. And like I told my husband, Shai, I want to go and do an in vitro right away. And he said, but but you need to be a little bit stable. I didn't listen. I changed doctor. And he went with me. And I got pregnant, but I was a mess. So seven weeks later, from the emotional pain, boom, miscarriage. It came positive. I was kind of happy. I was like, okay. But miscarriage. And then my marriage was crumbling. We were very close to the divorce. It was a mess. I cried nonstop. I felt even that I was leaving my other daughter, like, on the Mm -hmm. side. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Somehow, my husband and I came together and said, we really want this. Because if we don't love each other, then we divorce. But we love each other. So I said, that's it. We need to heal and um, the first thing to do is work on us. We work on our relationship. And we said, let's wait at least a year and heal. Mm-hmm. Ups and downs came. There was moments that I will laugh. And then I will 
feel guilty. Robin, I was like, why am I laughing? I just lost a baby. Mm-hmm. I should be crying and just, you know, like in the dark hole. And then it's not true. You have the right to love. You are alive. You need to move on. Mm-hmm. And I tell you something. They said, you lose a parent, you are an orphan. You lose your husband or your wife, you are a widow, widower. When you lose a child, what is the name of that? There's yeah. no name. So we work on that. We fix our relationship. We start to understand each other and to realize that we need to learn how to communicate. Mm-hmm. No relationship is perfect, but we did. And then a year later, which was 2012, we did our last in vitro. And we said, if it's going to come positive, good, we have the baby. And if not, that's it. We stay with Aaliyah. I, I start to change my mindset. I start to work very hard on accepting what happened. And I stop to ask why, because I know that I will never get the answer. Mm. And to learn from it and to, to realize that, yes, I had a baby. She is, is somewhere looking over me. And, and that is what motivates me to, to continue and do this last IVF. I got pregnant. I, you know, I start every night to do like a little reading uh, about pregnancy and, and, you know, praying to the universe, to God, that this is going to be okay. And when the baby starts to move about, you know, five months and a half, six months, that's when I start to get a little, you know, crazy because Mm -hmm. I learned how to count the movements and everything. And I didn't leave that baby alone. If she Mm -hmm. was not moving, Robin, and if if I knew at what time exactly she would move in when I was sleeping and she would not move, I would wake up crying. I would tell my husband to bring me a little soda or sugar. I didn't leave that baby alone from like six months to the end of the pregnancy. But it was a little better, less stressful because somehow I forced myself to think that it's going to happen. I didn't tell anyone, only mom and my husband knew, not even my sisters. I had, because I got traumatized, you know, I learned that until I don't have this baby alive in my hands, you know, I, I cannot scream victory. And then she born and it was amazing. I felt that all that guilt that I had from losing Isabel, because you feel guilty, I felt guilty. I felt that something was wrong, that I did something wrong. It was gone. And I felt that it was the same soul came back to me in a different body. You know, they talk a lot about spirit babies, a lot of our fellow coaches, and I connect with that. Mm -hmm. So I felt that she was back to me in a different body. That's my Maya, six years old. And... I feel it doesn't mean that I forget about her. You know, you, if I talk, I can get emotional. And sometimes I cry. That scar is there. It's close, but it's there. And I, I learned that this was some kind of an advice of me telling my story, of stopping to hide yeah. infertility. Because, you know, most women, we are like, we feel ashamed. We feel that something is wrong with our body, that we did something wrong. That's it. This is the time I want to do this. I want to help others going through the same path. Because if I would have that help when I started, I truly think that I would be better. I Maybe I would have less cycles. But whatever it is, that's what took me here. And I was a mom of Maya almost at 42. 
Mm. That's another thing. I don't think the age is something. I think that what makes us fertile is how we take care of ourselves and how we eat and, you know, how we take care of our bodies, our temple. So definitely it's a big, big hit in my life because it came all together. The death of my daughter, almost getting divorced, forgetting about the people that I love because I was so selfish that I only thought about my pain. It's teaching even that, that when, when you are in crisis, sometimes we don't see how that crisis can also hurt our loved ones. They suffer to see us in that pain. Would you like to learn what some of the latest research says about how to drastically improve the success rates of IVF and IUI cycles? I bet you would, because if you can drastically improve your success rates, and I mean like double your success rates, then that means hopefully less IVF cycles, less time, less cost, and less heartache for you, and a quicker chance of having your baby in your arms in the future. If you would like to know how to double your chances of conceiving, even if you are over 35 and if you're going through IVF, IUI, or even if you're trying naturally, then I would love you to jump into my free masterclass where I'll share what some of the latest research says about maximizing your IVF success. So come and find me at robinburkin.com slash workshop where you can sign up to receive instant access to my workshop robinburkin.com slash workshop can you talk to me about that first year after losing isabel what did every day look like at what point did you feel like life was starting to sort of continue again with you in it rather than just continue all around you fortunately my mom lived with us and she and my, my husband in the beginning too because you know the crumbling of the marriage start a few months later but it was my mom and my husband you know when I used to go to sleep I used to pray that I will not want to wake up like I tell you again, you know, physical pain, I was like, I, I will go to sleep and I will say, I wish not to wake up tomorrow because an emotional pain like that, it's unbearable. Robin, there was times that I will wake up and I will not want to eat. In the past, when I was single, I had anorexia. So mm. I go back to that. So that's an addiction too. Uh, you know, it's like I get depressed and right away my body blocks everything and I stop to it. So I start to not eating and I say, okay, this is a good way like to kind of run away from that pain. There was no way. Mama was there and she, she's a mom. So imagine I'm a mom. I lost my child and my mom is there seeing her child in that. The only thing that she could do is push me and she will tell me, you know what? You are alive. You don't find a way to do nothing to yourself. Because you might think, but you are not capable. So good that you are a coward on that, if you want to call it like that. She will start to force me and my husband too. Life goes on. And I used to get upset on them. Oh, I'm going to tell you. I used to tell them, are you, you know, F, the, the F word kidding me? It's like you don't feel. It's like I wanted them to feel the pain that I was feeling. And it's impossible. We all want that. Mm. We are so drawn in, in our pain that we want. We, we don't think that others feel. 
But I tell you, the pain that my husband went through, I understood that pain later. Mm. I didn't see it in the moment. So a lot of people and friends from the synagogue will come. So that will force me to, to come. You know, guests are coming to tell me, I'm sorry about your loss or what I'm going to do, stay in the bed. So I will come. Trust me, I didn't want to, but I have to. I start to, somehow I will say subconsciously, not consciously, to force myself. And they will talk. I love that. That was one big push. People that used to come will, I'm sorry about your loss, but they, they will try to bring me subjects that, you know, not focus on the big and talking about other stuff, you know, about how beautiful is the weather or how is Leah when you take her to a play that with my child, my other child, you know, and I start to feel that even there was sometimes that someone make a joke and I will laugh. And, mm-hmm. and like I tell you again, I laugh and I'm like, so I will say that it took me about six months to get out in a very slow way from the pain. The first six mm-hmm. months were a nightmare. I will cry every day for hours and there was nothing that could come, you know, mama, no, nothing. I would be very aggressive sometimes. I will tell Mm -hmm. her, you cannot force me to eat, go to hell, you know, like terrible. But I guess the fact that they didn't give up on me and me myself didn't give up. And somehow I will try to connect with with Isabel because that was her name. I I will try to in the night tell her, please send me a message. Give me a sign that you are okay and that it's not my fault. Give Mm -hmm. me something to feel a little better, less guilty because it was terrible, terrible. And slowly, slowly, and then, you know, came that worry of the divorce. I tell you something, even the divorce fact kind of distract me a little bit. So you, you you also start to walk away from that. And then you have another thing to worry. It was that. So the fact that it was that somehow today I can analyze and say, okay, that's good too. That bad thing, it was good in the moment because it started to take away that thought. Mm. Look, there is many people in this world, Robin, that they cannot move on with something like that. And I don't judge them. I will never judge a woman or a couple or a mom that loses a child and she chooses to end her life. I will never judge her because I've been there feeling that. I walk out of that, but I will never judge someone like that because, you know, when someone does something like that, it's because the light and their possibilities are, that's it, end. But that first year was, a slow process. Mom was a big help. My husband was a big help. And eventually me thinking, you know, people used to tell me, you have another child. That's very selfish. You have another child. Be grateful for what you have and not for what you don't or you lose. It's gone. So count your blessings now. And it's very difficult to catch into that at the moment because you are in the darkness. But when you are out of it, like I am now, I can find the sense of it. Like you've obviously learned so much since, you know, Maya's been born and things like that. You obviously have the benefit of years now of hindsight. Is there anything that you would have told yourself at the time or is there anything that you would have wanted to, like, let yourself know or do differently or? Yes, probably I would do something differently. 
That that I would have done differently has to do with the whole thing, the whole concept of family and my pregnancy. I was very um, dramatic and, and intense and uh, sensitive. Doesn't mean that I am not now. Mm. So if I will have a difference, for example, with my husband, mm. I will not be rational enough to say, okay, you know what? We don't need to kill each other at the same yeah. time. So, and why I tell you that I would change that? Because that was a big part in me not feeling connected to the pregnancy and in have a, a lot of rest during that pregnancy. So you learn in the hard way. That I would have changed as I am doing it now. So if now I am upset for whatever reason, or we have a difference with my husband, we have learned that one of the two needs to be the, the wise one while the other one is fire. Yeah. I was not. So I was a fire. And I also get, assume it was the hormonal pregnancy and all of that. But I was fire and I will not let go. I will not let go nothing. Mm. So I put a lot of pressure on me and on the baby. And, and then I felt disconnected from the pregnancy unconsciously. And that I would have changed because I'm sure, I'm sure, Robin, that if I would have done and behaved in that way during that pregnancy, she would have been here. But mm-hmm. again, that's an if. And what we have now is the present. Yeah. But that's what I, I would have changed. And, you know, you mentioned that you were on the brink of divorce. I certainly know myself how hard relationships can be when you're going through trauma and it's almost like sometimes your relationship gets put on the back burner and then you come out of it and discover that there's all of these problems in your relationship. What have been some of the lessons that you have learned that have helped you and your husband reconnect and thrive together? Definitely. I think that that's a key in any relationship, especially in marriage, is communication. Like I just told you a few seconds ago, don't kill each other. And I learned that from my husband. Don't kill each other at the same time. Yeah. Definitely. When that happens is when the fire starts and it doesn't stop. And I tell you something, the other thing, no matter who is right or who is wrong, it doesn't matter. Because eventually, you know what happened? Eventually, you start to have an argument or something for something. And it's it's a very little thing. It's a stupid thing. And it escalates to things that has nothing to do with the main reason of what the argument started. So you need to don't kill each other at the same time. And one of the two needs to break the thing and stop it. No matter who it is. And again, forget who is right, who is wrong. You know what? In the end, to tell your, your other half, you know what? That's it. Let's stop. I don't care who is right, who is wrong. Let's stop. I love you mm-hmm. if there is love. Because when there is no love and there is just monotony, then that doesn't stop. Mm. We got to the point that it was fire, like the ones that are happening now there. Oh my God, terrible that you don't stop it. You don't know how to stop it. That we say, that's it. Maybe we don't love each other. But when we were there with, <laughs> with the lawyers, He's like telling me, do you really want this? And, and, and I'm like, do you really want this? Because you are expecting who is answering first. And you know, like you, oh. and I say, no, it's me too. So I love you. So I love you. So we're going to work on that. And we learn. Mm. 
definitely communication. And especially if the woman is pregnant, oh my gosh, even worse. You know what? You cannot change the other person. No yeah. matter who it is, your husband, your son, your daughter. But what you can do is try to look yourself and see in that problem, what was that you did wrong or what was that you did to put more fire on it? Introspect, look at yourself, don't point fingers. When we point fingers, we want to run away from our own responsibility. So look at yourself, try to, to yourself to put in the, in the shoes of the other person and see why she's upset or why he's upset. And trust me, it's, it's a big practice takes years but mm. I have done that from the beginning oh my gosh communication and one of the two needs to say I'm sorry even if he didn't make the mistake of the other one you know what I'm sorry baby I love you that stop everything how can you provide hope to women who are currently stuck in the weeds of loss and feeling like they'll never be able to get their head above water. What does life look like for you now? Okay, when we are in, in that darkness, in that loss, it's very difficult to see or to find the perspective of what I am now, right? Mm. It is very difficult. But somehow needs to have a beginning. We need to have somehow a beginning and realize a spark. We need to get out of that. You know, I learned that also from one of our fellow coaches and practitioners. She told me one time, the first thing to get out of any kind of hole, and especially in, in our community, when you have experienced loss, when you have experienced infertility, you know, when you are having a hard time even trying to conceive naturally, is we cannot control that. We can't. There is no way to control it because we would be able to control it. Boom, we will be pregnant in a minute. can be in the dark or we can be in the light. But when we realize that we cannot control the situation that we are going through, we cannot control any pain that we are going through, the only way that we can get out of that, and it's, it's actually good that that happened. When you are in that uh, darkness and when you accept that you cannot control that, there is no other way but to go up and find the light. You are in the hall. You are in the dark. Good. You know why? Because look up. That's the only way that you need to climb. So accept that you cannot control it and even accept it with, with anger. Do it. Doesn't matter. Say, shit, my God, I can't control that. And uh, I, I hate this. Be upset with God, with your God, with the universe. Curse. Yeah, fuck it. I don't care. But that, just that right there, Robin, is a step to start to climb up in life. You know, infertility, fuck. IBF, suck. All this nightmare that I'm going through is terrible. The pain of losing my child. Yes, I want to kill myself. Yes, God, why you did this to me? You have all the right to all of that. You don't get the answers, but you want to take it out. But you start to doing that, trust me, you start to climb up. You are basically accepting that it's an uncontrollable situation. So, okay, be upset. But then what other option you have? Yeah. I hope that that's kind of the best advice possible because, you know, each case is different. And I think in listening to you as well that um, having that community of your synagogue was 
a, probably a huge blessing. And particularly in Australia, we're not very religious. And so then sometimes we, you know, we need that community. We don't find that community, but it can be so healthy to have people who are willing to sit with you through yes. the pain and to accept that people who are willing to listen or just talk while you just sit there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? One last thing I learned, like I told you, most of the people will do their best from the heart, from love, to take away my thoughts from the pain. I really value your wisdom and your hindsight and your honesty in, you know, like it is shit. Like it's just horrible and sometimes we just like need to do what we need to do and we just need to take like one step at a time to just keep moving but knowing that you know like there is a light that we can with time I guess keep moving forward and keep moving towards the light until our days start to resemble a bit more normality Yes, yes. And trust me, listen, there is people that have worse situations than us. No, I think she's uh, in your group too, in the Fertility Coach and Practitioners, Melo Garcia. She's a loving lady and she went through, I will say her hell was worse than, than mine. Because, you know, at least, you know, I, I knew that my baby was dead there, but her baby born and the baby was fighting for, for her life. And she became a grieving specialist and she even recommend me with the same like you said you know there is a book or there is something that says why cheat happens to good people yeah you know it's like this that's life what we're we gonna do we have a choice we decide either this or either that there is no middle term either you yeah. choose the dark or either you choose the light hmm. i love it and so you now work as an ivf coach you also have like a number of, I guess, other resources and products. Are you able to share with us a little bit about what you do and what products you have? Yes, of course. So I do the fertility coaching. It's usually I like to do it one-on-one because, you know, I went through that and um, I usually like to advise people. So if someone comes to me and tell me, okay, Monica, I'm ready to do IVF. My first question is, you know, why you want to do IVF? What is the cause of your fertility? I'm not a doctor, but what is the cause? What they told you? No, it's unknown. So means everything is kind of okay. I try to advise people that to see the IVF as a last option. Like me, my only way was that after all the, you know, burning all the resources. And then, you know, maybe walk them through a challenge or to a change. That's my coaching. I have three different packages that they offer in my website. But what I'm working now the most is in my book. I mm. launched my book a year ago. It's the IBF Planner. And, and I create that book based on my own experience because IBF involves so many numbers and tests. And you know, what is to be calling your doctor or your nurse all the time? What is my number today? What is this? And I combine that like as an administrator of your cycle with some journaling and coloring therapy is all in that book. And I consider, not because it's my book, but trust me, is such a great tool for uh, people that is already uh, decide to go through IVF because it's 
not only having your records, but I think it's also a great and beautiful thing for when one day you're going to have your baby and tell him, listen, look at this. This is you. All of this is what I had to do, you know, to bring you to this world and to be a mom and for you to drive me crazy and make me happy and for <sighs> you let me sleep never again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working a lot on that, on promoting my book. I'm writing blog posts. I am getting a lot of response. I'm doing cross promotion with other authors because, you know, we have kind of the same uh, line of work. And that, that is what I'm doing right now. I have probably maybe one or two ladies that are interesting in the one-on-one coaching, but I'm Colombian. So my head works very crazy and I want to finish everything at the same time. So I'm learning to focus on only one thing. And I also have a little uh, fertility jewelry like line of, you know, with moonstone. That's basically, and uh, you know, PDFs I'm creating all the time. I'm writing my second book, which is a um, gratitude journal that involves also fertility coloring and mandalas and, you know, how to be uh, grateful, count our blessings. That is mixed up. Uh, probably in a year it's going to be out. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you got a lot on the boil, but I do love your crystals and jewelry that you have as well. So are you ready for the speed round? Yes, I am. All right. What is your favorite affirmation or quote? Okay. It's a little longer, but I'm going to read it fast. Do it. From the Talmud. it says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. It's from the Talmud. Oh, that's awesome. I've never heard it before. And do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? Yes, and I think it's a book that is perfect for anyone going through a struggle. It's called The Glass Castle by Janet Walsh. I don't know if you ever read it, uh, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful. And just, you know, if you, it's, it's been seven years on the New York Times bestsellers. Okay. And if you had one message that you could share with the world, one thing that you could tell people, what would that be? And I scream it out of the roof, yes, that we are not the product of our circumstances. We are the product of our decisions. That's it. Mm. We choose. We have a choice. Yeah. We choose to live or we choose to be miserable, light or dark. That's it. Thank you so much for so openly and honestly sharing your story with us. You know, if we're all guarded in our stories, then I don't think that does a service to anyone. So I really appreciate you walking us through your experience and how you felt. If anyone would like to connect with Monica more personally, you can obviously check out her website. You can also find her on Instagram, but I know that you know you might find comfort in her journey and learning more about her and her products and services as well. Thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Robin. It was really an honor and a pleasure to share with you and with your audience. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Fertility Warriors podcast with me, your host, Robin Birkin. 
If you would like more tools, resources and courses to help you survive your journey, please head to robinburkin.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with others. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.